We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Welcome to the Babylon Singularity Interview Sessions, where I, your host, Peter Herter, sit down with fantastic folks from all over Twitter and the world and ask them the burning questions. Questions like, who are you? Why'd you write that book? Why'd you tweet that thing? When will the world end? Stay tuned to find out what happens next. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter, and today I'm going to change things up a little bit. I'm not going to just drone on for an hour about uh, you know what the Lord's got going on in me. I want to get to know the saints on Twitter, and uh, first up, I get to talk to my brother, Steve Gill who has been ministering in Lincoln, Nebraska for a number of years. The Lord has raised him up. Um, So we have him on the episode today. He's actually the author of the book, Signs of the End. I've read the book front to back, and I'm thoroughly impressed, and I'm really excited about getting into the the depth, the heart, the the research that went into this book, um, because I think it's very important. And I uh, just gotten to know Steve just a little bit from what I've seen on his, his Twitter. I see, I see a man of God who has a heart for the word of God, a heart for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and now after reading his book, I am convinced that he, he's, he's a legit scholar, a legit theologian. Like he is, even though, you know, you know, there's a, a realm of scholars that, you know, we, we look at these, these names great men of God that have, have framed the conversation. I, I believe st- what Steve is introducing here adds to the conversation. I, like I, I, was, I was struck by a number of things that I'll get into later that helped me to understand the, the discussion better. So I, I'm thoroughly impressed by the book. I'm, I'm all about it, and I'm all about my brother, Steve. Steve, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on, and thank you for the for the kind words. <laughs> yeah, no, it is a it's no, it's truly a, truly a pleasure to have you on today, Steve. Tell brother Steve, you've you've been on Twitter. What I just I want to start with this question. I know it's kind of a little bit off the wall, you know, because okay. there's there's different reasons why people get on social media. You know, like you know they you know, maybe they're, they're pushing a business. Maybe they, maybe they, you know, like want to show how they're maybe living their best life now. What, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm not throwing shade on, you know, whoever, whatever, you know, why people do social media. Why does brother Steve Gill do social media? Why are you on Twitter? Why are you, what, what do you, what are you saying? And what are you all about? Okay. Well, it's interesting because my start on Twitter was really the motivation for being on Twitter. Um, originally was was for my podcast and just to be open with you i'm not by nature i'm not by nature really much a social media guy uh so even when i first came on twitter and i first developed a a a profile which is was back probably like in 2017 Mm -hmm. um you know just kind of trying to figure this whole thing out i I really wasn't much into it but i thought that for the sake of my podcast, it would be important to have at least one element of social media. I had, I have Facebook, I have a profile. I'm not too much of a fan of Facebook, so I'm not on there as much. Um, but I decided to try the whole Twitter thing out. And so, um, it was my motivation for Twitter at first was solely for the podcast. Let people know, Hey, I got a podcast now. And just, and then from there, it was just really a mystery. I'm, I'm, you know, the whole thing is like, okay, how do I bring attention to this whole thing? How do I reach out to people? How do I get followers and that sort of thing? My profile picture was the, was the, uh, was the logo for the podcast and the profile name was just loving the scriptures. Um, which as you can see now, it's kind of changed a little bit. And the reason why that changed is that as time went on, um, you know, my, my tweeting was a little bit, you know, infrequent. And I know that um, on my podcast, you know, sometimes I'd say I need to get better at just kind of being more vocal on, on Twitter. Um, but um, 
just as I, you know, observed other people and just kind of the communities that were on there um, on Twitter, I was really impressed with how a lot of people were able to pull off uh, this sort of uh, this community, this healthy community on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, that centered on Christ, and it was and it was really attractive. And so more and more. I kind of felt more of a longing to be a little bit more relational mm-hmm. um, on Twitter. Um, and the first steps in doing that was kind of just changing, you know, just how I approach things. And so instead of a picture of my logo, the podcast, I just mm-hmm. have my picture. So people know what I look like and I have my actual name, Steve Gill. I don't, but I didn't want to totally disassociate with the podcast. Sure. So it's like Steve Gill, and in parentheses, it's like roughing the scriptures. But um, I'd say within the, within the past few months, probably back in the middle of summer, I kind of made it more of a uh, intention of mine of just being more relational mm-hmm. um, with people, um, forming relationships with people. And really, I would say, in all honesty, that my, you know, my motivation for being on Twitter and it having to do with the podcast, the podcast has actually turned into a secondary thing. Mm. And I just really found that I really want to be more relational with other, with other believers, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's pretty uh, outstanding. Like I, I was struck because Twitter's a very strange place. When you first get on there, you're like, what? Right. like, like it's like a soapbox that you just like, you just, you know, broadcast whatever, you're thinking, you know, you're like, what does, does anybody care about like, what is, how does this work? And then you're, then right. you're like, wait a second, wait, these are like, you know, there's actually real saints out here that are like, r- like really like in love with Jesus. And actually there is a, there's a, you know, there, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of fellowship here. That's, that's real. And it's, it was actually a little bit jarring for me to go like, Oh wait, uh, no, there's actually like legit fellowship at some level where the saints are actually communing together, actually linking arms, you know, in the gospel. And I was like, wow. And, and, and then you're, then you're like, you know, impressed with the, the individuals who are behind these accounts. You're like, wow, these guys are like solid, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, you know, a blessing to actually get to know, some of the saints. So I'm, I'm super glad you, uh, you know, agreed to, to jump on today to talk about your book. So Steve, like we were talking just a little bit before we started, um, you grew up in upstate New York. Your, your dad gets a job, Manhattan, Kansas. You're in Manhattan for a while. You, you go to school there after college, the Lord calls you into ministry. And then you're, you're serving in, in local churches and in, in different, and you you land in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, serving the Lord. Um, tell me, how did you like, I mean, that's, that's amazing, but like, it's just, it's, 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 it strikes me as a little bit unique that you're coming out with a book on uh, eschatology. Just, just how did, how did you go from, you know, serving in the church to like really writing a very impressive book on, on eschatology? Right. Well, my ministry in the church is actually kind of part of the story with how this book came about because at the church that I, that I pastor now, I mean, even, uh, even before I became a pastor there, I was one who was going there and, and attending there. And, and even then I had, you know, somewhat limited teaching capacity and stuff, and even sometimes preaching sermons and stuff. But, um, the way that this book, I mean, from its very, very beginning came about was, uh, came from a, uh, a Sunday evening, uh, Bible teaching time, which wasn't taught by me, it was taught by somebody else. And he was going through, he was going through the book of Mark. And um, when he came to ca- uh, chapter 13, which is the Olivet Discourse, um, he surprised me by asking me, hey, do you want to teach through Mark 13? Uh, just knowing the perspective that I have, which is, which was different from his, he's like, I, I want people in the study to have uh another perspective because pretty much everybody had been only exposed to one perspective. So I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. And, uh, so I said, yeah, absolutely. So it would, and it wasn't anything that was done in a week. That's what I thought he was originally asking me. So I was thinking, how am I going to fit all of this in one week? But he assured me, no, 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 you're, you're going to have more than one week. And so I said, okay, good. And so, um, 
I'd say about five or six weeks uh, in a row. Okay. Uh, we spent time in Mark 13. And then it was maybe like a couple of years later, um, you know, just kind of happening upon the teaching notes that I had written out. It, it's just really weird because it really wasn't much thought into it. I'm like thinking I could really just kind of put this in writing. And, um, and that's what I did. And the original first draft isn't what you have in your possession right now. I mean, it was actually just point by point from the notes and it was a lot shorter. Word processing pages are talking maybe about 90 pages. Uh, but I just kind of expanded on that, just seeing the opportunity in this. I'm like, I can really expand on this because there are things that I couldn't cover when teaching those five or six weeks just for the sake of, you know, you know, time constraints and things like that. So with that and just expanding on things that I wasn't able to cover in the original teaching plus new discovery along the way, because I'm still, you know, digging through scripture, still looking at things and discovering new things that I think is, is going to be profitable. That stuff goes into the book and then just kind of constructing it in a way that makes it sound really smooth um, and, and sure. things uh, sure, sure, eventually, sure. eventually comes up with what we have now. Okay. Well, it's, it's very impressive. Uh, is this your, is this your first book? Actually, no, I, I published a book, uh, it was a while ago back in 2009. Um, actually it was published right, right before, um, I moved here to Lincoln. So I was still in, in Manhattan, but I published a book called changing the method of change. Um, that was my first book. So okay. long gap of years later, um, uh, this book and hopefully, uh, Lord willing, another book on the way. I already have a manuscript written out. Just nice. got to do a little bit of touch up work and stuff on that. Well, that's exciting, man. Well, that's, that's really cool. So, so you, you were asked to do a, a Bible study. You went deep on the subject. You had all mm -hmm. of the, like, all of these notes from all of your research and you're like, Hey, we, this can be converted, you know, relatively straightforwardly into into a book and, and, and then you went obviously and recrafted things, did all the research, um, and, and came up with this gem here. So that, that is, that is absolutely fantastic. Now, um, so the, the book is called signs of the end and the subtitle mm -hmm. is what did Jesus say about his own return and the events that point to it? It seems like, um, the, and, and, you know, straighten me out if I'm, if I'm, you know, misguided here. It feels like the, the main premise of this book is to look at the Olivet Discourse. What did Jesus actually say? And what does it, what does it mean um, for, you know, for his day? And what does it mean, you know, in, in the future when he returns and, and trying to, you know, kind of, um, you know, to, to, to straighten out the, the, the can maybe the confusion or the conflation of, cause it seems like what ends up happening is, you know, um, and, and this is from my perspective. So again, like I'm just throwing my perspective out there. What, what ends up happening is, you know, people read, you know, saints read what, what's going on in the, all of that discourse and they either put it all right there in the first century or they drop it all at the end. Um, when Jesus returns, like, right with the, with the preterist, they, they, they want to say like, Hey, it all happened in the first century in, including the return of Jesus, which is always astounding to me. Um, right. or, you know, cause it's, it, I think that one's like, isn't that like a bridge too far? I mean, like, like right. come on, just, can we just, can we just be honest for like two seconds? That, like, like really like you go home at night and go like, I, I really don't believe that, but you know, like, <laughs> like there's no way. Um, but, or, or what ends up happening is the whole, the entire, the entire prophecy is dropped right at the end of history. Um, and, and, you know, we have all of these very clear prophecies that were very clearly fulfilled in the first century, you know, either going, you know, saying, oh, that, that was partially fulfilled. And now the, the real fulfillment or the, like it wasn't fulfilled at all. And it's all drops at the end. That's, that, that's kind of the. I would say probably your primary, uh, I don't know, adversarial view that you're probably kind of most wrestling with in this 
um, book is the uh, the the pre pre millennial dispensational view. It seems like it's the dispensational view that that comes up over and over again that you're you're um, kind of raising an argument against. Tell me where to, like tell me where what I missed. Um, didn't miss much. I think the one thing that I would add to that because there's the you know the whole thing of of looking at things. How much of this is in the past in Jesus's day and how much of this is, is future. But the one thing that I point out is that there's also a present element to this too. I mean, it was, it was something that I would say that a lot of what Jesus spoke about to his disciples were things that actually unfolded in his day, but it wasn't limited just to his day. This is, there are things that permeate even into our day in the 21st century. And Jesus explains it in a very, uh, in a very general way. And I think that's deliberate. I think that's by design because, you know, if he gets people to, to focus on, you know, the painful details and the specifics, then our mind gets distracted on those specifics. And we're not really concentrating on what we should be doing, which is preaching the gospel. And he even says there in, in the Olivet Discourse, the gospel must be preached to all the nations. Um, but so there's, there's a present, uh, element, um, uh, there's a present element to 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 all of that as well, and just how to how to look at all of this. It was it was something that was a, that immediately spoke to the disciples, which I think is important to acknowledge um, and to realize. It is some, but it's something I believe, um, just as birth pains do, um, is something that we've seen throughout their time and has worked up even to our time. And when we're talking about birth pains, we're talking about things where things seem to you know, come back with, with much frequency and intensity, and then there's a little bit of a lull. And then it comes back with even greater intensity. And I think that we've definitely been seeing that. Um, I mean, goodness, just look at our world today. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And uh, I, I think that, that the Olivet Discourse speaks to those sorts of things. And again, not in specifics. I don't think Jesus, I don't think Revelation or anything speaks specifically about COVID. I don't think it speaks specifically about BLM riots or anything like that. But in a very general way, um, you know, just as far as the turmoil of, of the world um, and even just kind of the, the natural things of this uh, of this world, famines, earthquakes and things like that, those are things that are that are present today, obviously, um, and is not anything that we see that's totally relegated to the future or just to the past. And so I think that at the end of the day, there, there needs to be a balance. Yes, there are past and future things, but there are also present things. And how do we, how do we, uh, how do we make heads or tails of all of that and understanding the passage? So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of really got, you went after it there. So <laughs> I, I'm going to need to, we're going to need to process that a little bit. Um, Okay, so let let's just let. So you, you, your point there is that you know we're we're on a we're on a timeline here, and you know there's a there's there's intensity maybe on the, on the front end, you know the the first century, and let's let's just say we're we're in the final century of human history here, and the Lord's going to return within the next hundred years. I, I would say potentially that that is, um, you know, that's that's possible. Hey, hey, Steve, can you hold on one second? So we're in a we're in a timeline here where um, we're in between these two events that it, it seems like his his uh, Jesus's disciples were asking him two questions right like well well Jesus you know you know starts the conversation by saying you you see the temple it's going to be destroyed um, and they come to him and they're asking him two questions they're asking him like when are these things going to like when is the temple going to be destroyed and what's going to be the signs of your coming so like there's there's two bookends that they're asking about. And it seems like Jesus is answering, like, yeah, there's two, like, bookends. You know, it's it's this first century and the 21st century. Um, but, like, you're saying there's a there's a continuity and there's an intensity and escalation of it towards towards the end. Um, but let, let's just maybe, let's just back up for one second. And can you explain, like, I, I've been scratching my head lately. Why... Why do we define these different eschatological perspectives um, in terms of the millennium? And I, I'm kind of I'm kind of coming out of left field a little bit on this, but it mm-hmm. it seems like when um, when we're having a discussion about a perspective on what does the Bible say 
um, about you know Jesus's return, we we somehow have defined or anchored the conversation around what somebody's view of the millennium is, right? Like, like, like mm-hmm. the millennium is the central thing. So there you're either, you know, you're, 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 you're pre-millennial, you're, you're post-millennial, you're amillennial. I don't know. Is, is being a millennial is, I don't even know all the, but like, why, why, why have we allowed the millennium to um, kind of plumb line the conversation? Do you have any insight on that? I mean, I, I think it's a good question, and to be quite honest, it's a mystery to me too. To be, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I'm one who you know brings up millennium this, millennium that, because I mean, I'm just, I'm just using just what everybody else is using, and I'm just joining the party and saying, okay, I think that this area here is what best fits what what the Bible says. But I mean, like the the question is a good one because you know the millennium you know, whatever, whatever you believe about the millennium isn't the central focus and it, it, it isn't, and it shouldn't be. Right. Hey, Steve, um, before we get, before we get too far, just give a, give, give a minute on what is the millennium and just, and why, why has it, you know, just, just because people, you know, they, they hear millennium, they're, they, they're probably thinking millennium falcon, you know what I mean? Like, they're like millennium, like <laughs> what, what are you even talking about here? Right. Just, just give a minute on that. Sure. Uh, so the millennium is the teaching that's that's uh, that's laid out in uh, in Revelation chapter twenty, uh, where it talks about the thousand years. If you're familiar with Revelation twenty, that's where um, you know after you know as a lot of people interpret it after Jesus Christ comes back in the previous chapter, uh, you have the thousand year reign where those who are beheaded will, will come to life. They and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Before that time, right before that time, the dragon, who is Satan, is is put into the abyss. He's locked away in the abyss so that he won't deceive the nations. And so basically what you have in the thousand years is this thousand-year kingdom of uh, reign of Christ with believers reigning with him for a thousand years. So it's a, it's a kingdom reign of absolute peace and righteousness, um, which after the thousand years comes to an end, Satan is released from the abyss. He deceives the nations uh, to gather uh, in war against the saints, and then uh, they are swiftly uh, defeated, and then we're brought into the eternal kingdom. Right. So, I mean, I mean, relatively straightforward teaching, but it's, it ends up being a very kind of difficult to place it, to understand it, to put it into the larger context of what's happening in the Bible. And so it's almost like this, you know, you know, it's almost like a stumbling block where like everybody who like comes up to that passage has to deal with it. It's almost like, like, like what do we do with this? Because, because, there's a number of things that are, are kind of troubling where you're like, wait, hold on. What, what's going on here? Like, it, and so, you know, um, different saints have, have dealt with the passage differently there, you know, um, is the prevailing view. The prevailing view is we like, like if you just pulled all of, you know, Christianity and said, you know, what are you, 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 you would say probably the majority are premillennial that, that, that thousand-year reign is yet future. When you say pre-millennial, that means we're living, you know, in the before the millennium. Meaning the 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 millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ is yet future. Would you say most people are in that camp? I would say, and that and that's been that way for a long time. I I would say without a doubt that that is the that is the prevailing perspective that Jesus Christ will come back before. The millennium, and so he comes back and he sets up a, an earthly reign, uh, an earthly kingdom um, that lasts for a thousand years. I have read, you know, some resources, and this is coming from the premillennial side, who will say that amillennialism is the dominating thought. And I'm like, eh, I, I don't know about that. Um, you know, but just it, it may be growing have, in popularity, possibly. I think so. I, I think that there have been strides that have that that has, that's happened over the years where. Um, where people are starting to rethink things a little bit. I still think that dispensational premillennialism is the dominating view. Um, and a lot of the teachings that have come from years past, I mean, is really deeply rooted and stuck in there. Um, and so for a lot of people, that's just not anything that, that's going to go away. Um, you know, and, and which, I mean, everybody has their own journey as far as how they look at scripture and, and comparing the different views or whatever. But, sure. um, you know, but I mean, I would still say that uh, majority of the people hold to 
premillennialism and the, that of the dispensational kind. Right. Um, so but let, you are seeing a little bit of a shift, I think. Seem, yeah. it, seem, it seems to be shifting. So what are the, the primary views? I, it's probably the two primary views are premillennial and amillennial. But let, let's just address the other perspectives out there. Um, just briefly, so you you can be post millennial, correct? Like you can believe like Jesus already reigned a thousand years. Is that is that a is that a view or is that not a view? Well, yeah, post uh, post millennial uh, post millennialism. Um, it's interesting because amillennialism used to not be called amillennialism. It used to be just called post millennialism, uh, but eventually there's you know, there's kind of a distinction that was later made so that you have, you know, this, those two views between amillennialism and postmillennialism. So, you know, both would say that there's a millennium and then Jesus Christ comes back after that point, therefore the, the post. Um, I think the main difference, though, is how each side views the world as it is now, as it leads up to the second coming. Post-millennialists will, will contend that the closer we come to the, uh, to the second coming of Christ, things in this world are going to get better. You know, the gospel is going to spread like nothing else. You're going to have so many people coming to Christ. Um, and even some, you know, take a, a an even grander view on this and saying that uh, much of the world is going to be living under the law of God. Uh, whereas the amillennialists will say, well, that's not necessarily biblical. I think, uh, you know, the testimony of scripture and even with what we're seeing before our own eyes uh, is that the world is going to get a lot worse. It's coming apart at the seams, but those things are supposed to point us to the reality that, hey, Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to he's going to make all things right in this world and it's going to make all things new. So basically, it's a difference between a, a, a more optimistic view of things uh, versus a more pessimistic view. I okay. obviously, as you can tell, is fall on the pessimistic side. So so you so so the 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 perspectives break down primarily to two camps, premillennial, amillennial. And then within mm-hmm. the amillennial, there's the there's the kind of a more optimistic versus more po- pessimistic. That's how you'd say. And then the, the the optimistic would be more in line with the post millennial view, whereas a, a true down the line amillennial is going to say, yeah, no, things are actually um, going to be getting worse and worse until Jesus returns. So in, in that respect, there is there is some overlap with the the premillennial. Um, sentiment of like, yeah, no, the world's going to fall apart at the seams. Jesus is going to return. Right. And so there, there is that. And you are, you are in line with the all millennial kind of pessimistic, um, you know, and, and who, who are some other guys that you look up to and go, yeah, um, I'm in the camp with, I think Sam Storms is one of those guys, right? Yeah, Sam Storms is 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 one of those. I don't I don't agree with him totally one hundred percent on everything. And in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I'm going to tell him that. In, <laughs> he, Sam Storms seems like a very nice, gracious dude. I <laughs> think is, that I think is. I think will be okay. Uh, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, in the in the overall perspective, I agree with him. It, but it's interesting some of his perspectives on the actual Hollywood discourse. I don't agree with, you know, just just as far as the the approach and interpretation of that. But I will tell you, I'll tell you one person who's been a a particular influence is a guy by the name of, uh, of uh, Kim Riddlebarger. And, um, you know, just disclosure here. I mean, I, I'm not one who would say that I'd never believed in dispensational premillennialism. I would say that as I was growing as a Christian and taking off my growth in my college years, you know, that's what I believe because that's what I've been taught, you know, just listening to different sermons and things like that. Um, I started to have a little bit of doubts about certain things, but it centered more on the pre-trib aspect of it, sure. uh, but still didn't think that amillennialism was, was where it was at. But it, was, it wasn't until one time when I jumped in my car, turned on my car, the radio's on, and the Bible Answer Man is, is on the radio, and, he's, uh, and Hank Hanegraaff is interviewing this guy named Kim Riddlebarger about his book called the case for amillennialism. And, uh, while I was before, I would say I was kind of dismissive towards amillennialism, even though I was having growing doubts on the premillennial side, I'm listening to this exchange that is going on in the Bible answer man and listening to Dr. Riddlebarger explain some of these things. And I'm thinking he's actually saying some things that 
man, making a whole lot of sense. And so I ordered his book and read that and went to scripture and kind of did my own digging, read the book again, did some digging in scripture. And long story short, that's kind of a big contributing factor to kind of where I am right now. Okay. Okay. No, that's, a, that's a, actually really helpful to, to understand kind of your, the, your process in, in, in how you've come to land where you've come to land. And so for people to understand, like, what is, what are some of the key, what are some of the key things that uh, your perspective would hold at odds with say, you know, the premillennial dispensational view um, and now I'm just going to do this for my own sake of understanding so that it, like I can try to lock it in cause it, it sounded kind of interesting. Um, so mm-hmm. you're, you look at that prophecy. So like, you know, you, you come into the, you walk into that prophecy about the thousand year reign and your perspective is that the dragon being bound for a thousand years is actually to limit his ability limit the devil's ability to gather the nations for this final rebellion. And, and only when the devil is kind of loosed over whatever this period of time is, um, it is when he's loose to gather the, 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 the nations basically to, to war, um, which is exactly what's happening in revelation 12 and 13. You're saying, no, that is the prophecy of Revelation twelve and thirteen, this is this is almost like a recap or like a like a condensed you know a cliff note version of everything we were just reading when when we see Satan being bound for a certain period of time, then being loosed together the nations against God in this this rebellion. It's it's not something that's going to happen again. Like it's like like right now, you look down the annals of time, and you go like, wait, okay, so the devil is going to 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 you know lead this rebellion of humanity against the Creator, then be bound, then be loosed, and then lead a rebellion of humanity against the Creator. You're you're saying no, 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 this thing isn't happening twice; it's happening once. It's just being described in different ways. Now, I may have totally mutilated your perspective, but it, how close is what I just said? To, to what you believe it's it's pretty close and I think that you what you're what you're hitting up on and what you're trying to describe is the um, is the whole thing of recapitulation and just to explain what that is um, it, it's a it's a feature of you know a, a way of how to look at the book of revelation and how to actually interpret the book of revelation and here's one of the one of the differences that you have between premillennialism um, and a lot of amillennialists, and I'll say a lot of amillennialists instead of most amillennialists, because not everybody, I don't think all amillennialists look at things through the lens of recapitulation, though I think a lot of them do. Um, With amillennialism and recapitulation, what you're basically dealing with is reading through the book of Revelation and seeing that you're not looking at a chronological description of things that happen, most of which will happen during a seven-year tribulation period, which you're looking at mostly are things, the visions that describe in symbolic form things that happen between the first and second coming of, of Jesus Christ um, from different perspectives. So the, the, so the way that they're described in symbols looks different, um, you know, and there's different emphases in those in those different in those different perspectives, um, and really, I think recapitulation is really important to understand passages like Revelation chapter twenty. And I think that you even described before. I mean, just kind of the comparison between Revelation twenty and even what you see with Revelation chapter twelve. You know, you, you are seeing two different visions that capture the same thing, but there's different emphases. In Revelation chapter 12, I believe that, you know, the whole thing of Satan being cast down to earth is the whole binding thing, binding sort of thing, but it's from the perspective of he's no longer able to lodge any accusation against, against, uh, against the Christian brothers and sisters who are, who are covered in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 20, you have that binding, but it's looked at, you know, again, it's described differently with different symbolic, you know, pictures and stuff but it's it's seen from the perspective of he's not able to have the you know draw this massive deception uh to all these nations to gather them together for this final eschatological battle 
um, at the end. That will come, but, you know, but not until the very end. And so you see the binding, so to speak, but in two different perspectives. And so that's kind of, you know, that's just kind of an example of recapitulation. Whereas with the premillennial side, most of them will, will look at Revelation from, uh, you know, from a straight chronological sort of mm-hmm. thing. So after like the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, okay, from this point on, we're dealing with things where, you know, the the, the, the tribulation starts to take place and you just have this, this sequential unfolding of what happens. But of course, when you, if you actually pay close attention and you read through Revelation and you see the descriptions, you come to understand, well, a sequential understanding of this doesn't work. It really doesn't make a lot of sense because you see certain things of nature disappear in one area and all of a sudden they reappear here in this other place. Sure. So how did that happen? Sure. And, and that's, a, that's an important question to ask, especially if you're talking about the premillennial perspective who are very big on literal interpretation. Yeah. And that's another big difference between the two sides. Yeah. 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 So that, that, uh, that actually helps, helps clear up. And, and I encourage you to, you know, the, the audience out there, who's listening, tuning in, go get this book, go get it. It's on Amazon. You can actually, uh, you can find Steve Gill. What's your, what's your, uh, what's your call sign on, on Twitter? Is it at, at, at LT, at LT scripts, L T S C R I P T S. Loving the scriptures. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Um, so one other, like, so, you know, I think, I think when people think all millennial, um, a lot of times they think like, oh, these guys are gonna, and, and, and it's, 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 I, I think it's actually just, uh, it's, it's not based in any reality, but like they, what, what are the, maybe I'll, I'll frame the question this way. What are the most common misconceptions that you run into when you go, yeah, I'm, I'm an all millennial. They, they think, oh, you dismiss scripture in this way or you dismiss scripture that way i i i i, I kind of picked up that vibe in your book that you're like hey wait guys get, give me a second let me let me explain i'm yeah. not i'm not throwing out any scripture i'm i'm i'm, I'm dealing with it the in the best and the highest that i know i'm taking it as seriously as i possibly can and and uh and so what what are the kind of most common misconceptions on the on the all-millennial uh, perspective um, I, I would say going back to the whole thing of literal interpretation, I think that that's a huge misconception because a lot of people will, will contend that, you know, amillennialists, their biggest problem is, is that they don't take scripture literally. Um, and one thing that I try and point out in the book is that we actually, we actually do. And, you know, and no disrespect to the other side, but one thing that I say in the book is that actually what you see is that it's the other side that really in a lot of cases doesn't doesn't uh, make good on their claim of, of literal interpretation. It's very much appreciated to, you know, look at literal interpretation with the motivation of treating scripture with the respect that it's due and, and interpreting it right. I do admire that, but um, I think, you know, to say that amillennialists don't take scripture literally is is kind of problematic, especially when it comes to a book like Revelation. Uh, you know, I just mentioned before about looking at all the symbols in, Re- in Revelation. And so since there are a lot of things that I would say just in the interpretation of that book, where I say it's not literal for a lot of people, that that's a problem. But what you have to understand is that Revelation, in, as far as genre is concerned, is a totally different animal. You can't interpret a book like Revelation like you would a book like Genesis or First and Second Samuel or First Corinthians. Um, it, it it has its own unique you know way of communicating to you, and John even lets us in on that at the very beginning because in the original Greek when it talks about to show what must soon take place yeah. in the original the 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 meaning behind that is 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 to signify to show in signs. Sure. Um, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, yeah. just just a, just a quick read through of Revelation, and you're like, wait a second. Uh, so there's a so the, a, a beast is coming out of the the ocean, like 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, right right there, and then and then later on, you know, in in chapter 17, the angel comes along and goes, hey, let me explain a few things. The beast is this. Yeah. The 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 prostitute is that. The waters are yeah. this. Like and so so the, yeah. So to take it, you know, I I, I think yeah. So. So, and I will say this. I mean, let me just add here real quick. I mean, even if you put Revelation aside, and I and I'm basing this off of a conversation or two that I've had before, and you know, the whole thing of 
literal interpretation has come up and everything, you know, we're looking at scripture together and I'm saying, this is what the scripture is saying right here. And this is what I'm saying it means. And it's pretty much going along with what that passage actually says. I, I don't, I don't know how much more literal I can be here. Right. And I have to point out that actually it's you guys who are saying that, no, it doesn't mean that because this has to happen and this has to happen and this is this is this. I'm like, I, and, and that's, and to be honest, that's kind of been one of the more frustrating things, you yeah. know, just in kind of discussing those things. Cause like you're told you need to be literal with scripture right. and I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, I, but I am, I can't get any more literal than this. <laughs> sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit funny because if, if you have this like overlay of like a, like a, like a, like a narrative arc that you've already bought into. And then, and you're like, the only way you can understand scripture is if you overlay that, that preexisting narrative arc over scripture. And then, you know, basically understand scripture in light of the overlaid narrative. And what I mean is this, like, like we're all familiar with, and I'm just going to use the most popularized term and understanding of it. And it, I'm, I'm not meaning to be sound disrespectful, but this is just kind of the reality of it is it's, it's the, like you, you mentioned uh, Tim LaHaye, you know, God bless him. Did he, he, he passed away. Is that right? Did he pass away? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, God bless him, his, his legacy, like, you know, so the, uh, nothing but the highest respect for him and, 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 and people who love and adore him. Absolutely. 100%. But it's this. Um, left behind understanding of the Bible, right? So you have, you've got, you've got, you know, this, you know, Nikolai Carpathia is gonna gonna rise up. He's gonna have his, you know, his sidekick, you know, um, uh, religious leader, and then you know, they're and then they're gonna go, they're gonna go into a third temple of Jerusalem and and say their God or whatever. Like the, it's it's like a it's like a storyline, and then and then you know, of course, you got before it all happens, you know, the the, the rapture kicks it all off. So it's like this, it's like this huge story that has been told, and then you have like like you have to stay true to that story no matter what. And so it's almost like you take the left behind understanding storyline and you overlay it on scripture and then you're, you have to bend scripture. And I understand like, that's a very, you know, that's a, that's not a positive thing I'm saying there, but I'm saying that's, that's what's happening. And, and, and so when they're having a conversation with you, they're like, you know, we can't understand it like you're saying, because it doesn't fit the, the you know the Tim LaHaye left behind overlay of of scripture that we've already committed to, and so um, so I think I think the frustration is you're like hey guys who wins here like what who are we going to align with are we going to align with the word of God or are we gonna you know you know you know and 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 God bless Tim LaHaye and those who are like him who are doing what we're, what we're doing which is doing the very best we can with scripture but. But, you know, we, we need to hold tightly to scripture, not the narrative or the storyline that we, you know, we come up with. Um, and so, like, if our storyline doesn't line up to what Paul is saying or what Jesus is saying, then it's got to go. It's got to go. Right. Like, and, and so and then and then it's just funny because the the conflation between like somehow the my loyalty to the left behind, you know, storyline has somehow reached the level of my loyalty to Jesus. And like, I can't, like, I can't depart from that storyline or else it's like, I'm departing from the faith. It's like, no, 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 no. Tim, Tim LaHaye, you know, he did his, the best he could. He didn't have it. He didn't, he didn't have it. And, um, and we just, we just really just need to, you know, sola scriptura, right? Like the word of God alone and then let's let's just do that, and let's just just left leave all the other stuff out and have that conversation. I think that's the conversation you're wanting to have. I want to hit on, um, I just want to hit on the, and, and we're, we're kind of coming to an end here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, you do believe that Paul um, did prophesy about a man of sin. You do believe. You know, obviously the 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 title Antichrist isn't you know used very often. Actually, I think it's used once actually in the New Testament um, to refer to an actual human being. Um, 
but you do believe there is a series of end time events that we should be expecting. And, and I, I, I think from just from what I, from what I read in your book, you said like, Hey, I'm not looking for a third temple to be built, you know, in Jerusalem. You know, I, I'm not looking, you know, for, for a, a pre-tribulation rapture. There, there's a few things that you're, you're not looking for. What could you say to the saints out there who are like saying like, you know, um, what should we be looking for in the days ahead? Because it does seem like Paul is 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 very clear that there is, you know, some sort of you know corporate head to fallen humanity that's going to arise in the the last days that Jesus is going to slay at his return. Um, mm-hmm. What what are the few things that you can say about like, hey, we know for a fact this has not happened yet, and we are, these are the signs that we should be looking in the days ahead before Jesus returns. Just just hit a couple of things. I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, maybe with things like like that, as you mentioned, the um, the man of lawlessness. I, I think my my perspective, um, as far as that goes, is is vastly different in the sense that I don't think that you know when he appears that it's going to be something where he remains in existence for seven years. I think that his time on this earth will be very brief. How brief, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I, but that's what I believe about him. I I mean, as far as what I'd say about what to look for, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to frame it in that because I don't really want to say that this is something that we should be looking for as far as that goes. I mean, it's just something that, you know, when it happens, it happens, you know, as long as we're, as long as we're in the, in the, in the practice of doing what we're called to do which is preaching the gospel to the nations. I think that we're, that we're in good shape. Um, and, you know, if, you know, and I think that that's where our, our, our focus and our concentration should, should be on. Um, I'm hoping that people aren't looking for, you know, who could this guy be, you know, could this be the guy who's the, I mean, cause you, people have all sorts of speculations on that. And I think that people can fall into that line of thinking, whether you're dispensational premillennial or me, even amillennial. Um, you know, you can start thinking, you know, I remember, you know, back when I was younger, people were thinking that, you know, Bill Clinton could be the Antichrist and that sure, sort of thing. Sure. You know, it's just like, like, well, is that really, should our, that really be our focus? Let's just go out. It wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't the, he was a, he was N, you know, he wasn't like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like and, there, and there's, there's lots point. of Antichrist running around, right? But there right, is, indeed, and there that's, is and that's the, the D too that we, we, we should be, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here. But I want to, I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to mention something about that though. Cause that's a good point, Peter, because that seems to be forgotten. Uh, we're so much focused on the Antichrist where scripture says there are many Antichrists that are out there and that, and they're very much part of the present spiritual battle for the souls of the lost that are out there. So my whole thing is, is that it's not so much about, you know, the antichrist as far as what our concentration should be. Yes, he is going to come, but scripture is clear. There are many antichrists out there and there are those many antichrists out there who themselves are deceived and they're actively working on deceiving other people. And I think that that's what should be worried about. But one other quick thing, I mean, just as far as things, I mean, if we want to frame it again, as far as things to look for, um, I mean, I would say, I mean, if this is something that catches our attention at the time, um, if you're at a point where you suddenly start to see a massive number of, of Jewish people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I think that that uh, might be a might be something that would be a giveaway as to, okay. hey, maybe this is something okay. that's that's happening soon. But then again, like I said, is that something that we def- that we would necessarily have to know about? I, I wouldn't say that you necessarily have to. I mean, conversion is a very, you know, internal thing. You could have a lot of people coming to Christ and we wouldn't know it. And, you know, and sure. then, you know. So. Sure. Okay. Just, well, let's, let's wrap it up with this. Um, we, uh, uh, what, what is, what's, what's the primary, what's the primary thing that you want folks to come away with after reading, reading signs of the end? I would say that, you know, the, I think the main thing that, that, you know, that we would have to, that I want people to understand is that, and to come away with is that, um, first of all, that there is, that if anything else, I want, I want people to really revel in glory in the reality that Jesus is coming back, whether you're all millennial, whether you're post millennial, whether you're pre millennial, 
or what have you. I would hope that that's uh, that that's a, a major thing that that you come away with, and it just kind of um, up, uplifts people in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I think secondarily, um, what I would want people to come away with is that um, an amillennial perspective really doesn't do violence to doesn't do violence to scripture, and that there is a a a laid out thought out way to to look at these sorts of things um and uh, and just really to be honest it, like with everybody just in anybody who just reads the book even if they're not convinced right away after reading the book if it gets them into scripture as they battle with different questions that they might have as a result of reading the book i think that's a win for sure um because i think one of the big problems is that a lot of people who've been exposed to the other view uh, and again, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I think the reality is is that people have just been exposed to talking points as it relates to what our millennialists believe, and that's the only thing that they know about our millennialism is talking points, and they're pretty bad talking points. Um, so I would hope that when people read this book, they can see that there is a way to look at this in a very thoughtful, scriptural way. Whether you agree with it or not, at the end of the day, you know that's up to whoever's reading the book to decide. Um, but it's not—it's not the weird, whacked-out thing that a lot of people have been told that it is. And at the very least, I would hope that it would—that it would awaken in people a desire to dive into scripture more, to do their own investigation. I—I I, I don't think you can go wrong when somebody has that sort of response. Now that I've read this book, let me dive into scripture for myself and uh, see what I can come up with and see where the Holy Spirit leads. Fantastic. Steve, I appreciate your time and uh, actually really enjoyed getting to know you just a little bit here. Um, I hope we can have some conversations in the future. Um, So I just want to say thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, And uh, let the folks know out there that he is active on on Twitter. You can find him at LT Scripps. And you can find his his book on Amazon, or just just go over to to his uh, Twitter uh, page there, and uh, I think you got you that I think you got that pinned at the top of your your Twitter line there. Um, Signs yep. of the end. What did Jesus say about his own return and the events that went to it? Steve, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.